Let's pray together, church. Lord, we just uh, want to take just a moment to just pause and reflect in our own hearts this morning with all of our busy schedules and all of the issues of life that plague us. Um, Lord, we have some in our congregation today who are battling all types of illnesses concerned about loved ones in their family that are struggling as well. So Lord, we, we come before you as a needy people and we just praise you for who you are to realize as we have, uh, have sung our songs of praise to you that those are truths. We want to praise you today with all that's in our heart and in our soul for who you are, for you are good and Lord, your goodness is eternal and forever. You're never changing. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even though our schedules change and our troubles, troubles change, and it seems like every day, Lord, there's some new something that we have to deal with. You're still there, Lord. You are never, never changing. You're faithful. We worship you today because of that faithfulness. Thank you for the, our praise band, for our church body, for, Lord, the way that you minister into our hearts and show us your love and care for us. Bless. Now as we open your word, Lord, we want to hear from you today. Uh, we want you to speak so that we can respond. And if we have good sense, we'll be obedient to what you tell us to do. So that's why our prayer today, we love you, we praise you, and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated, and welcome to Church Church. I want to take a moment. I don't know, I get in here sometimes, and I miss seeing people come in, but can we welcome our guest here this morning? Say, we're glad that you're here uh, with us. We're in a series of sermons. Pastor Matthew kicked us off on the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going to be looking today. He talked about God's preeminence or Christ's preeminence in, um, in creation. Today we're going to be looking at uh, his preeminence in love. Now, we're going to be looking at love in a little different perspective today. You remember John 3, 16? For God, so say it with me, loved. Why did, how, how did he, what did he do to express that love? That he gave us his only begotten son. For what reason? So that if anyone would believe in him, what would happen to them? They would never perish, but have everlasting life. If Christ is not preeminent, that verse we need to erase because it has no strength whatsoever. But if Jesus Christ is preeminent, that is, he's before all things, and he is who the Bible says he was, and he is who he claimed he was, that today we want to establish some things, and I hope that today, if you're here uh, and somehow discouraged 
I hope today that as a believer you'll be encouraged at what Christ has done in his love for you and for me. You know, throughout all of church history, there have been problems with false teaching uh, and heresy that have crept into the church, and it seems to always focus around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't know of any heresy throughout church history, and of course I don't know it all, but I don't know of any throughout church history, and I don't know of any even present today that does not attack those two areas, the person who Jesus is and the work what he has done. In fact, for the first eight centuries of the church, there were church councils that dealt with these heresies. And they wanted to affirm biblical teaching about who Christ is. In a city of, called Nicaea in A.D. 325, there was a church council. In Constantinople in A.D. 381, another church council. In Ephesus, A.D. 431. And then again in 680 through 681. In fact, it took two years to settle that issue. And a second time in the city of Nicaea in 787. All of these councils dealt with the attack upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, either his deity or his humanity. We see that those heresies are still around today. There are those that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They say that he was a God, little a, little g, but that he was not the God because the Bible proclaims that he is the God. Jesus claimed himself that I and my Father are one. One in what? Essence. There's no difference. Uh, they are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent. And so there are many today, major denominations, if I were to, to name them or, or groups, I would call them. I, in fact, I would literally call them myself cults because they deny either the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, 100% uh, God, 100% man, the God-man, or they deny what he has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. But today we want to look in Colossians to see that Paul is, is struggling and battling with the same types of heresies as Matthew introduced for us last week. Let's look in Colossians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 19 uh, through chapter 2 and verse 10. I want to read this this morning, so follow along with me. For it pleased the Father that in him, parentheses, Jesus Christ, all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness of what? The fullness of the Godhead. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, that's, that's wins in here, okay? And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now he has reconciled 
in the body of his flesh through death to present you. Now listen to this. He's going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now there's a great place for a shout right there. That's God's plan for you. Now listen what else. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking um, in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, he's not saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that my sufferings, I'm doing that for the same reason that it's for the church, to let you know that God has a wonderful plan for you and that he has all these things that he wants to do in your heart and life. He calls it the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Listen to this. What is the glory of the riches? Listen to this. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, that's who we preach. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. I, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Remember, Paul, is, he's not been to Colossae. Epaphras was the one who was saved under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He goes back and starts the church there in Colossae. He's come to Paul where Paul is in house arrest in prison now and he is uh, sh uh, sharing with Paul the issues of the of the heresies and the false teachers and Paul is writing back and he doesn't necessarily deal with the false teachers but he begins to brag on Jesus and listen to what else he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving beware 
lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Listen, I'm for education. I've been educated way beyond my intelligence already. I think you ought to learn all you can, and you ought to never stop learning. But if you never went to school, if you never got a degree, if you never got a diploma, if you never got any kind of recognition for your intellectual acumen or anything whatsoever, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need. It, if, if we had needed an educator, God would have sent us a professor. But we didn't need an educator. There's nothing wrong with education. We need to get all we can. Because it helps us to expand our mind and to be able to understand and be able to, be able to comprehend some of the things that God has done for us. But I want to tell you something, there is nothing more important than knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is everything. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. Every philosophy class I ever sat in in college and even later on, every one of those would attack the Christian faith. I'll never forget our philosophy professor in college when I went to Mid-South Bible College now. This was a class that I really enjoyed because he took the philosophy book and he held it up and it was about twice as thick as this, as this Bible. Those, you know, philosophy never answers any questions all it ever does is raise more questions so he held that book up and he said now we're going to study this book and he said we're going to learn all the different philosophies and ideas and of man's wisdom and you'll be tested on it but then he picked up his bible he picked up his Bible and he says, Now, you need to bring one of these to class too. Because we're going to take this and we're going to correct what's in this one. I said, I think I'll like this class. And I want to tell you something, folks. There are lots of philosophies out there today that are against men, against the, against the Word of God, against empty deceit. As he, as he calls it here. But notice what else he says. For in him, him again is Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If you want to know anything about God, it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And you, listen to this word, are complete in him. You have nothing lacking if you know him, who is the head of all principality and power. Now let's talk about the 
Christ's preeminence in his love for us and all that he's done for us. Christ's preeminence, first of all, in his continuing work. You see, Jesus' work on the cross was complete and finished. He paid the ultimate price, the total sacrifice. There's nothing else that needs to be added for you and me to be saved other than what Christ has done for it. When he cried out on the cross, it is finished. It meant that the whole plan of God was complete. Salvation now could be offered to anyone who would believe and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. But then there is a continuing work that Christ does in us. And that continuing work is what theologians call sanctification. In other words, he's not finished with us. Amen? What he did is finished, but what he wants to do in us is not finished. But notice some things. Let's look first of all that what he did for us in our past. He has reconciled us. Notice what verses 20 and 22 say. Let's, it's, it's worth repeating. And by him to what? Say it with me. Reconcile. You know what reconcile means? Do you ever get your bank statement and what the bank says you have is not what you say you have? In other words, you are not reconciled with the bank. Now, one of two things. You are going to be in trouble if you don't get reconciled with what you say you have and with what the bank has. Because let me tell you something. What the bank says you have is going to top off everything. You can argue, you can spit, you can cry, you can cuss. You can do anything you want to, but until you get that reconciled with the bank, you better not write another check. Or you might be reconciled with somebody else. But he's reconciled us. What does that mean? There was a debt that had to be paid. That debt was the debt of sin. What could, what could, what in the world could pay that debt? Only someone who was able to be perfect, who had never sinned, one who had not only lived a life of perfection, but had also had lived a life that had glorified the Father, and was willing to sacrifice and give his life so that for those of us who were not perfect could be saved. We owed a debt. And that debt, the only way it could be paid was by a perfect, sinless, sacrificial lamb. And that's who Jesus Christ was. We were unreconciled to God. But Jesus Christ came... And he got us and made us reconciled to God through the death and his burial and his resurrection. 
he reconciled us to God. Now, the theologians call that justification. What does justification mean? It means, and here's what I heard Adrian Rogers say one time, and there, you know, there's no illustration that's perfect that comes to you know, this because you could always pick illustrations apart. But here's the way he said it, and I think it makes a little sense to me too. Take the word justified and put it this way. Just if I'd never sinned. Am I still guilty? Absolutely. I have been guilty of being a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But because Jesus took and paid for my sin and paid the debt of my sin, that I have been justified and made right in the eyes of God, and therefore my sin cannot condemn me any longer. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's reconciled us. He brought us into a relationship with God that we could not have any other way. Then not only that, but he, he will restore us. Now this is Jesus and our future. Colossians 1.22 says, In the body of his flesh, through death, here's what he wants to do for your future. Here's, what, here's the future plan for Jesus Christ for you. To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. A little sideline here. You are not that way right now. But he's going to present you. when Now here, let me say it this way. In our standing, in other words, our position to God, we are holy. We are blameless. And we are above reproach. Why? Because... The atoning work of Jesus Christ covers us. And when God looks at us, he sees his son Jesus and the sacrifice for our sin. That's what he sees. But he has a desire for our future to continue work in us, to restore us. And then the third thing he's doing is, and this is what he's doing presently in our lives, he is remaking us. You know, uh, there's an old, old song. It's one of my favorites that I heard many years ago. And, it was, and it's called, The Old Man is Dead. And it's a song about, about an individual who had lived a rugged and horrible life. But he met Jesus. And in the power of the Holy Spirit quickened his dead spirit to life, and he, he became a believer in Christ. And the Bible talks about for us the old man and the new man. And this song is about the old man is dead. Every one of us ought to have a verse to that song that are believers. You know, what we used to be is not what we are, and it's certainly not what we will be. But what we used to be reminds us of all that God has done for us to bring us to where we are. You and I today can understand that our sin is forgiven and we can look back and we can see those scars and we can see 
those times of horrible decisions that we made and those things that we did that we, we just never, ever thought of the impact of it. But we can put that behind. It's covered by the blood of Christ and that sin has been forgiven and we can move forward. And God, as he moves and works in us, cleansing us and sanctifying us as we grow and walk in our relationship with Christ. He purges us. That's why it's so important to be a part of the body of Christ and to be in Bible study and to be in fellowship and to be in our community groups and to be involved in everything that you can to learn all that you can about what Christ has done for you. Because if you don't put that into your mind and your heart, you're going to default back to what you used to be. And the enemy's going to come to you and say, well, look at what you did. And when you do that, the enemy has you. He has you defeated. You see, he can't stop you from being saved. Because he's not stronger than the Spirit of God. But what he wants to do is he wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to make you ineffective. So I want to encourage you. Surrender. And let the Lordship of Christ remake you. And let the Word of God transform you by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By not being conformed to this world, He's remaking us. So He, he justified us. He is sanctifying us. And one day, bless God, He will glorify us. Us as we are swept into his presence. But let's look next at Christ's preeminence in his church. We see his preeminence in his continuing work. And in verses of chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2 and verse 10, he tells us several things. Number one, the commitments of the church. What are the commitments that you and I, as a part of the body of Christ, and when we're talking about the church here, we're talking about individuals, you and me. In verses 24 through 29, notice what he says about how we as a church should be. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul is saying the things that I've had to go through and the sufferings for the gospel's sake, he says, I'm doing it because I want everybody to know who Jesus is and I want everybody to be saved. I want people to know, I want the church to know that how much God loves them and he has a plan for them. And he says, for you and to fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Jesus loved his church so much that he died for it. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us there that, we, that he sacrificed for us and that he gave everything that he had. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill what? The word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus what Paul is saying here, we want everyone to come to know Christ. 
and to understand that you don't have to continue a life of, that is not fulfilled. And he goes, closes out by saying, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. This past week, past couple of weeks, I saw many of you working, striving, according to how God was working in you to be able to have that wild game service. And it was a service. It wasn't just a meal. The meal was to, to be able to, for you to sit still long enough to hear the message. It was just a conduit. The whole purpose of that wild game was to, was to be able to share the message of the gospel. And, and those two guys did a fantastic job. But every one of you who worked hours after hours and sacrificed your time, you were just as important as those who stood here and shared the gospel because you made that possible. And you, God used but when you are serving the Lord, notice the commitments that he says that you need to be ready to um, be able to live out. First of all, get ready to suffer. <laughs> so, oh, wait a minute, preacher. I didn't know signing up for Jesus meant I was going to suffer. Well, notice what the Apostle Paul says here. I now rejoice in what? Say it. My sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Get ready to suffer. When you are on the front lines for Jesus Christ, you can bet your bottom dollar that the enemy's going to be shooting at you. And you've got to make up your mind on the front end. Are you going to let the fiery darts of the devil hinder you? Or are you going to hold that shield of faith up there? And let that shield, as the scripture says in Ephesians 6, quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Get ready. As I promise you, those long-tongued Lucys are out there. And there are plenty of them out there that will do everything they can to try to destroy you. And it's not only that, but they will creep in, as what had crept in here to the church at Colossae, they will creep into the church as well, mostly unnoticed, until somewhere behind the scenes, they are working against the church. So get ready. The second thing is, get ready to serve. Uh, verses 25 through 27 says, of which I became a minister. Now that word minister is translated many different ways. It could be translated servant. Uh, it could be translated minister. It could be translated even deacon. That's the same word. Uh, and it's a word that uh, is the word diakonos, and it, it, here's what it literally means. Dia is, a prep is the preposition, 
and it's where we get our word diameter from. So it means to cut through. If you want the diameter of a table, you, you cut through the center of that table. That's your diameter. And okanos means literally. It just literally means dirt, dust. So the word diakonos literally means cutting through the dust. Now what's this idea of this word, of minister or servant? It means that you are serving so faithfully and so committed to serving that you're running around going, doing everything you can to serve the Lord, and as you're doing it, you're stirring up a dust trail behind you. I want to see a bunch of dusty Christians. Amen? That's what it means to be a servant. And I saw that in so many of you this past week coming up here working hours after hours, planning after plan, and, and following through and doing all that you... And listen... That's just one thing that we've done. I did, saw the same thing during our basketball ministry, that we have an outreach uh, to the community, especially for children. We've got the, 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 the woman's night out coming up soon. Same thing. Everything we do, serving, serving. If you're not serving, you're missing a blessing. So come and serve. Get ready to serve if you want to be a part of the church and really understand what it means to be committed to the church. Get ready to suffer. Get ready to serve. Get ready to speak. Verses 28 and 29. Paul says, Him we preach. Now, you can preach all kinds of good stuff. You can talk about, uh, you know, all the, as, as some try to preach today, uh, and they sway so many people, The you know, the social gospel and the, you know, name it and claim it, folks. You know, you can preach all that foolishness if you want to, but nothing will ever replace the preaching of the gospel. The death, burial, the life, the death, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that needs to be spoken. He says, Him we preach. What do we what, what do we preach? We warn every man and every individual. What do we what do we warn them? Teaching them teaching everyone about the wisdom of God that we may present every man perfect to Christ, complete in Christ to this end. I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Get ready to speak. Get ready to suffer. Get ready to serve. Get ready to speak. Then we see not only the commitments of the church, but notice the concerns of the church. What should we be concerned about? What are the things that, that should be priority for us in this preeminence of Christ's love and, and sharing his love everywhere that we go? The church, first of all, must be courageous in heart. I think of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow to the king's idol. And because they refused to bow, they didn't burn. You see, because they were in direct opposition to what the king wanted, that at the sound of the music, everybody was to bow and worship the king's idol, and they wouldn't do it. Plus, the, uh, they, uh, they would not eat. The king's food that was given to because it could have defiled them. 
because some of the food that they were uh, given to eat were a defilement for a Jew to eat, and they would not eat. But what they did do is that they were punished. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of them. But when the king looked in, he saw four. And you know what even the king said? He looks like the Son of God. And so Jesus Christ was right there in the fire with them. Daniel then, because he refused to, to stop praying, there was a declaration that there should be no praying, no worship of anything except the king's idol. But Daniel kept praying. And he was brought to judgment, and he was thrown into the den of lions. <laughs> and for some reason, the lions had no taste for Daniel. I, I, I picture Daniel sitting there with a, one of those big old lions head, you know, and he's just rubbing his head and saying, nice kitty, kitty. You know? Why? Because God protected them. Because of their faithfulness. You've got to be courageous. There's an old hymn, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. You need to be courageous where you work. Now, I'm not saying being obstinate, and I'm not saying being ugly or being nasty or being hard-hearted, but I'm just saying to you that at work, you need to make it known that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you don't have time for all that foolishness. Because there's always something to distract you. Be courageous at school, young people. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. He must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up. Jesus wherever it may be be courageous the church then must be cooperative in love as well Colossians 2 verse 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God notice what it said being knit together you know the Bible talks about a three stranded cord is not easily broken. We need to be cooperative in our love. The same love that was given to us, we need to share that love with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to love one another. We need to be an encouragement to one another. We need to not talk about one another unless we're on our knees praying to the Lord. We need to be careful. We need to be cooperative and realize and understand that we, as we are put together, that God will use us. Then the church must be confident. 
in salvation. The Bible tells us that we should have a no-so salvation. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says, I write these things so that you may know that you have been forgiven, that you have eternal life. For those who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. We need to be confident that our hearts may be encouraged together in love to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. And then the church must be convinced in truth. Convinced in truth. Chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. You need to be rooted and grounded in your faith. If you, if you, if you cannot rightfully defend your faith, then you need to put forth the effort to be able to do so. We say, well, and listen, when one of those witnesses comes and knocks on your door and you hide in your house and you refuse to go to the door and talk to them, these are heathens that have come to your door and you are a child of God and you're going to hide from a bunch of liars? What's wrong with you? Open that door. Get your Bible in your hand. And you start preaching Jesus. And I promise you this, when you start preaching Jesus, they're going to run away from you like you got some kind of virus or something. Don't, listen, a Christian should not be hiding from some cult member. What's wrong with the church? I'll tell you what's wrong is that you've not put forth the effort to know what you believe and to be able to explain why you believe it. You have been sitting on your blessed assurance, rocking your way all through life, and you have never put forth the effort to understand and to be able to explain the gospel and to be able to explain the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. You have skipped out on all the classes that we teach here. We taught systematic theology here for, for months and months and months and months and months, and many of you just ignored it. You don't know how to defend your faith, and you know whose problem that is and whose fault that is? It's yours. Because the church has given you the opportunity to learn it. We're studying the Gospel of John right now. And if you want to know about the deity of Christ, every chapter in the book of John speaks of the deity of Christ. You know how many people showed up to learn about the deity of Christ last week? One, two, three. Does that mean that we've taught everybody good? That's, that's the way I took it. I said, we've done taught everybody so well that they already got it, they got it down. And there's only three that don't know how to do it. Folks, we need to be convinced that our need never stops to learn. Because when some cult comes to our door, we should never run and hide from that cult. We should boldly be able to stand up and, and convince them of the truth of the gospel. 
I said, well, Brother Ken, I'll just call you. Well, call me. I'll come. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Do you know the number one group of people that the Jehovah's Witnesses are able to persuade more than any other group or, or denomination you can think of? Do you know where they get most of their converts? Baptist. Former Baptist. Because they don't know what they believe. I'll tell you something, folks. We're coming to a time in our world that if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, and if you, go, if you're, if you can't take a stand for it, you're going to fall into the traps and to the enemy. And then number five, the church must be consistent in faith. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to set your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Consistent. If there's any word that I think should fit the Christian life is just being consistent. Consistent in our service, consistent in our belief, consistent in understanding that we need to take a stand and be courageous. We need to work together and cooperate. We need to be convinced. And let me tell you, unless I've been studying God's word now for almost 50 years, and I want to tell you, I wake up every day thinking, gosh, I just don't know enough. I, I've got to find out more. I, what, I've, got to, I've got to know more and more. I pray I never get to the point to where I think that um, I got enough. And I want to encourage you. The preeminence of Christ. Look, did he, short, did he short us any? No, he didn't. He paid the complete and full price. He never stopped. He never wavered. He never, ever quit. And I just want to just say to you today, church, we've got a a task before us we have got to be equipped we've got the plans in place we've got the programs in place to help train and equip but you know what you have to do you have to want to and the love of Christ should compel you to do so and you should never ever hide from a cult. Paul says, be bold. Lord, we thank you today for our time together. We thank you for the privilege to know you and to serve you, to love you, and to be loved by you. 
and to know Lord that you have a purpose and plan for us and that as we walk in faith and obedience to that plan and purpose that you equip us you prepare us you work to bring us to you in our past you are working in us now in our present and you have a tremendous plan for our future Lord may you continue to show us your will and your way in all that we say and do and may we be compelled by the love of Christ and may as Paul says that he his whole desire was to see that everyone would come to know you and to know the gospel so Lord we love you today thank you for that love for us that's never ending in Christ's name